Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Rambler. I'm your host, Mike McDonald. This is going out late again. I know I've been kind of, I've been, I've, I've not been good at putting this out on time on this usual Sunday schedule that I have promised you. I apologize, but I had a long, slow, hard drive back from Washington, D.C. yesterday, and I wasn't in charge of the van. I wasn't in charge of the van. We took a weird route back up to New York from D.C., and what should have been a four-hour ride turned into a seven-hour ride, (laughs) and I don't know how it happened, but it was not fun, and I did not have a good time. It did allow me to do a little bit of editing to today's episode with my guest, Deb Savigny, but I didn't get to... Uh, you know, publish everything, do what I'm doing right now, which is the intro and outro, and uh, throw all the other stuff in. And unfortunately, that's what happens when you live on the road sometimes, okay? You live on the road with other people, and every now and then, uh, you don't get to do the things that you want to do, like putting out this show for everybody here. All right. Well, with that being said, let's uh, let's get to the show. What have you been up to this week? I've been in D.C. this past week working all weekend, unfortunately, which is, again, why I, I couldn't uh, get this out. Um, but, you know, I did get to spend the weekend in, in D.C. and and uh, have a little bit of fun, I guess, there. Uh, what else? Yesterday, last late last night when I finally did get home and uh, a little bit this morning, finally got to sit down and watch the PBS special. Uh, Hamilton's America. Have you guys seen that? Are you into it? I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm kind of a theater nerd. I'm a theater nerd, and I'm also a history nerd. And uh, as I will, uh, as you will find out during this show, all of my 12-year-old dreams have come true. And I failed to mention this actually. That uh, that includes Hamilton the musical, Hamilton the musical, uh, which meshes together. Several different things that I'm pretty passionate about. If you listen to the show, you understand, which is uh, history under Alexander Hamilton, musical theater, which I love, and hip hop, which I also love. And they somehow got meshed together, and it was a wildly successful uh, show that blew up Broadway last year and that I still haven't yet to see. So I, instead, I got to watch this PBS special uh, this morning, which I finished called Hamilton's America, and I highly encourage everybody to go out there and watch it as well if you're kind of into those things, and even if you're not. If you weren't a fan of history, but you like musical theater, you like musical theater, but you weren't into history, or maybe you're a hip-hop fan, you weren't into either one of those two, but uh, this might be an easy way to access all of those. And I found it to be an incredibly moving documentary. It's only 80 minutes long. An incredibly moving documentary about uh, the passion that goes into putting on a show of that caliber, as well as uh, the amazing story of Hamilton, of Alexander Hamilton. If you don't know anything about Alexander Hamilton and you are listening to this podcast, I really want you to go out and just take a look at that because his story is an amazing story of an immigrant and a truly rags to riches tale of one of the founding fathers, one of the most important founding fathers whose vision of America uh, that we are currently living is closer to his than anybody else's probably thus far. And so I really recommend, if you don't know anything about Alexander Hamilton or the struggles of that human being, to check out that documentary because it is fantastic. Uh, In any case, we're going to get ready for all you fellow adoptees slash theater nerds out there. Uh, because my guest today is a costume designer at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and she's also going to be doing a show specifically about Korean adoptees and the experience next year, uh, which will be premiering in the D.C. DMV area. 
More about that later. I will let her talk about it. You guys just sit back and relax and get ready. And thanks for listening. All right. Enjoy the show. Enjoy. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's well, not like now okay. or never. I mean, it could be. It could be later or never. It could be tomorrow. <laughs> it could be next week. It could be over Skype or FaceTime. It's true. I do that. That's true. You didn't have to come out to oh, the please. Marriott and Metro Center. You could have done whatever. Okay. There are a range of options. I, I like options. But, you know, I, why not spend a, an evening downtown? I'm never down here, honestly. Oh, really? Like, for being. I lived in Adams Morgan for a long time, which is um, a couple neighborhoods north of here. Uh huh. And so it just. There's no reason to come downtown unless you work in a corporate job, you know, unless yeah, you have an yeah. expense account and or work down on K Street or something. Yeah, if you're like working it. at the White House or yeah, where's no it, the Eisenhower Building? Is that where the, the Veep is? Yeah, I think so. See, that's even sad. I don't even know. I've been here 15 years. I'm like, what? I don't know. Oh, you've been here um, for a while. Yeah, I've been here a long time. But you work in have you always, you work in Georgetown, right? Yeah, I've worked at the university there for hmm, this is my tenth year. So you work at Georgetown, like, mm-hmm. like yeah, literally? I thought you just meant like in the area. No, I work at the university. You're not like in the cupcake shop, Georgetown mm-hmm. cupcakes. No, I don't care. That You're not helping film the new Exorcist movie with the stairs. No, but if they asked me, I would. <laughs> That's where the stairs are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The famous and they stairs. Are steep. They are. I've climbed those steep. stairs. Yeah. It's that's a weird location for those stairs because I feel like it's they're really at the weird. end of the street. And then you get down like, and like, all the way to oh, the avenue. A gas station. Yeah, it's so like a it's gas station a or a garage <laughs> or something. Yep. And then it's like the bridge. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And there you are. And you're like, oh, these are the stairs. I haven't oh. been down there for a long time in like in yeah. Georgetown. I like it down there though. It's, it's cute. cute. It's really Georgetown cute. Georgetown as a campus is cute. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what else is there? Thunder Burger. I remember eating many meals at Thunder yep, Burger. Yep. yep. There's a. Let's see. There's all sorts of new places. There's a. Oh really? There's a great new place right near campus called Curry and Pie. Ooh. I just went there with my husband the other day. It's kind of like Indian fusion, mm-hmm. but they do like honest to goodness Indian dishes. But then they do like. Indian pizza. They even have like what we've. Oh, there's man. another name for it, but we've uh-huh. essentially called it like Indian poutine. So it's like <laughs> fries with like curry toppings. Oh, interesting. I'd so, be down for that. That's pretty cool. And there's yeah. like Thai food over there. Yeah, there's some Vietnamese yeah, places. There's a lot of good places down in Georgetown. Pretty much you can get any cuisine in Georgetown. Maybe I think the only DC centric cuisine you can't get there is Ethiopian. Oh, yeah, you got to kind of go, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the bar I used to go to was called Old Glory. Is that still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Old Glory has its sort of, like, select clientele, (laughs) you know. Who are the select clientele uh, for Old Glory? I don't know. It's, like, the tourists that go to to Georgetown that are like, I just need, like, a good Americana bar, you know? Yeah. Um, I would recommend Sovereign, which is just up the street. Oh, yeah? New. I feel like the Old Glory was like a college bar. Kind of, yeah. Kind of, but not really. The, well, it's funny. For Georgetown students, uh, there was a bar called Thirds, and that actually became like a shishi taco place. Oh. But um, called El Centro, which is actually really great. I make fun of it, but it's actually pretty awesome. But Thirds was the bar that took the fake IDs, so that's where all the kids went. Hell, yeah. And then Rhino I mean, I do bar. not encourage underage <laughs> know, drinking right? on this Me show. neither. Me neither. <laughs> Um, there was, uh, let's see, another bar called Rhino, which is where all the Boston Red Sox fans went. What? Is that like a Boston bar? Yeah. A Boston bar? A Boston bar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I've been there once. Go out there and watch the Pats play. I love Boston, but that closed too. (laughs) So it's like now I don't know. Not like I'm really keeping track. I couldn't tell you like where the bros go from Georgetown. Well, um, yeah. Well, who wants to go there? Well, the only reason you would want to know that is like so you know where to avoid. Because, like, in my, when I was lived in North Carolina, there were a couple of bars there that it was oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's where the bros go. Do you live in the Triangle? I did not live in the Triangle. I lived mm-hmm. in central North Carolina, oh, okay. so I wasn't actually very familiar with the Triangle, but I feel like mm-hmm. I played it safe in the Triangle, too. There's yeah. not too many places in the Triangle that were, like, you find, like, Don't Duke go. lacrosse players or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. No, um, I think, like, the Lax Bros at Georgetown. Like, uh, there are definitely societies, and there are frats and sororities, sure. but... But Georgetown has, like, a reputation. It has, like, an air to it. You know, it's not... Is it an Ivy League school? It is not. But it's, like, it has that air to it. it. Like The campus feels very Ivy League. Like, there's a lot of stone buildings. It's very old. Very old. Like, it's a beautiful campus. So, yeah, it's a great place to work. Um... Yeah, but it does have that sort of old, old money yeah. thing. But, yeah, very you know, elite. It feels very elite. It is very elite. It's a very elite school. But the students are actually, like, pretty chill and down-to-earth, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, some of them are, are from very elite families. Like, I'm actually surprised I'll meet them. And I don't care as a professor, like, about what kind of money they have. I care that they pass my class. Like, what, <laughs> what kind of families? Is it, like, it's a lot the of Bush dynasty? Yeah, so it's like, oh, your five sisters went to Georgetown and your father and uh-huh. your uncle and, and, and down the generations. Sure. So you get those types of families. Or... I've met the families who have buildings named after them. Nice. Can you <laughs> name like any of them? Or can you name names? Are like, oh, there any God. like Vanderbilts or anything there? There are no Vanderbilts that I know <laughs> of. I'm trying to think like of famous people that, that have come to the university, but not, I'm blanking. Nobody, I mean, they exist. Not, not even like, like the celebrities that come. There's a K-pop star at Georgetown. Really? Yeah, I can't remember what is like who. But like most people on campus wouldn't know. Only like the no, Korean Student only Association. The Korean students. Like, oh my God! Yeah, you know, but like there's, yeah, I think he's just come to like study. <laughs> oh, he's, he's it's a he, it's a he K-pop star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I knew offhand. I could probably look it up. But Interesting. Some the post wrote an article about him. Oh, really? And um, you know, which sort of like outed him on campus. Wapo, the Wapo wrote an article on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. Just that, that's a pretty like, big deal to somebody at Wapo. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's so funny. Like, when it's your local paper, and I'll admit I'm jaded. So, as a professional theater artist, like, I get reviewed in the WAPO, like, Mm. ten times a year. That's pretty rad, though. So, like, my name shows up in that paper a lot. Which is not, like, me tooting my own horn. It's just, like, that's part of the industry. So, you're, like, K-pop star, whatever. I don't know. Jeff (laughs) Bezos. I got featured in the the post, you know. Um, No, that's awesome. But it's one of those things that, like... When it's your own town, it's like when we work at the Kennedy Center, it's oh, always yeah. an honor. Like, I always go in that building, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm well, sure, because, the like, theaters. the president goes there. Exactly, yeah. And they do, like, you know, bomb sweeps when we have shows, and the first lady yeah. comes, you know, and it's it's amazing. But it's still, like, the Kennedy Center. Like, for, it's, like, another local theater. I guess. So, I know. mean... It's That's like being like, oh, yeah, Carnegie Hall is just like Center. our local theater. Lincoln Center, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I have friends that went to Juilliard and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, just come up. Just come up to Lincoln Center. I'll be playing Lincoln Center. It's like, right. uh, like cool, man. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Well, if you want to come see my production at the Villagers Theater in Franklin, New Jersey, mm-hmm. you are welcome. <laughs> Excellent. <I will. laughs> yeah, no. 
yeah. I have no production going. I haven't been there since high school. But that's like the level that I achieve. Well, you know. I, I mean, I, I can't. I'm at the point now where <clears throat> I don't think I could do anything else. I've got two degrees in theater. And nice. That's where I am. I was so. a theater minor. That's great. So, I mean, hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, I, so. So you teach theater? I teach theater. At Georgetown. design. Yeah. A design? Like mm-hmm. set design? Set design, costume design. Cool. Manipulation of objects, really, Ooh. is how I sell it to my students. We were just, I took uh, the our last event for the team mentorship for AKA. We took them to the Museum of the Moving Image, because I'm oh, also man. a huge, like, cinema nerd. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, a lot of all the old sets and stuff like that for all these famous movies. Mm-hmm. And they also had the... I want to say it was Radio City, but I don't think that's true. Some theater they had, like, the the model for. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I used to have to, like, make these when I was in yeah. scenic art. Oh and, gosh. like, you have to take into consideration, like, where the audience members are going to sit mm-hmm. and who has and obstructed views yeah, and, and all this stuff. Like, where the curtains have to go and how deep mm-hmm. they can be and all this other thing. And they thought, like, at least some of them thought it was cool. <laughs> Others were like, <laughs> we're going to the video game exhibit. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh, man, it brought me back. And I was like, man, this was, like... It's so cool because it's all these little models and they're so hard mm-hmm. to make. Like even like, oh, I gotta cut out this chair now and fold yeah. it into a three D chair. Uh-huh. That's very true. <laughs> it's time consuming, but it's like amazing to think about. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing that for ten years. Uh, let's see. I guess I've been in DC. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, going back in time. I've been at Georgetown. I guess this is like my tenth year beginning. Before that, I was at Catholic University, so uh-huh. I guess I've been working as a professional, professional, like out of school, etc., um, or at least working professional shows for about 16 years. Wow. So, I well, that I is feel that awesome. <laughs> I know, but, I don't feel that old either until I see an article that was like, in uh, four years, the 90s will have been 30 years ago, and uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh I'm cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. I know. Teaching a class in costume history right now. And nice. We're about to enter the 20th century. Just finished 1900. <laughs> and I'm like, Do these kids okay, have any concept of that? Not really. I mean, they're all born in the 90s. Yeah, in the, like, in the, now, like the mid to late the 90s. Mid to late. And I'm like, oh my God, I was in high school. Oh, yeah. So they are looking forward to me bringing in pictures in my yearbook, which oh, I will yeah. just entertain will you? them. So you're going to be like, this is what we looked like. hair, and I'm like, this is the 90s. 90s and my senior picture with my like socks and Birkenstocks, you know, my flannel. I was. Oh bad. yeah. Well, I feel like kid. some of that's coming back. Oh, it totally is. I brought my flannel with me on this yeah, trip because it's supposed to be cold the next two days. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh hell yeah, flannel. Yeah, flannel. It's a oh, good without experience. my Nirvana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the 90s. Oh, some of my listeners will have no idea. It, like, history. It is. That's it is funny. history now. I was talking this morning. I was talking in class about hipsters. The hipster era is over. Is it? Yeah. That's oh, thank we're, God. We're done. I know. Thank God. But like, <laughs> and and actually, a friend of mine who was visiting the class said, "Oh, it's because the female, the women hipsters, you know, they have grown up and now they're having babies." So, and so that like, killed the hipster really movement. I don't know if that killed the hipster movement, I, but that said to me, "Oh." The hipsters of sort of like loitering, let me do my own thing, except I look like everyone else era is now over because they've grown up. There, there will be some other jobs. conformist movement to move into. This, you know? Why? Well, was, okay, so what's post hipster? Do the kids tell you? I don't know. We're in this era of like everything. Like everything? The, this came out of an article that one of my students brought in that just we're, we're in the era of everything right now. Like everything is fair game. You know, that, like, men are wearing women's clothing and women are wearing men's clothing and we're, get, we're moving into, like, 
a genderless style era Ooh. where everybody is gender fluid and, and everybody style is gender fluid, you know, like jeans are skinny for men and for women. Yeah. Um, so it's like a really unique, everyone's wearing leggings. <laughs> you know, it's a really unique um, era, but I think we're not like most things. We're not going to be able to truly understand it until we're done with it. Yeah. So we got a couple more years to analyze before we're like done. Because they keep asking me. Are there a lot? Do you see men wearing leggings around? Mostly running. So like, running. I, so I have leggings for running. Totally. For warm, for cold weather running. Yeah. Not yeah, when it's hot absolutely. out. Oh, no, no, no. They're horrible when it's hot out. Yeah. But, yeah. But that's a functional know. thing. Like, I won't wear leggings. Like, you'll see women wearing leggings at, like, you know, just around sure. at the airport. Yeah. Do whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm not going to wear I don't know if that's because a factor as a 30-year-old, but... Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be just wearing leggings. Yeah, <laughs> and it will probably be some time. I just have a guy, one guy in my costume history class. God bless him, Justin. He is like, I will die like being free. <laughs> you will not see me in leggings, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I think my husband will never wear leggings. Ever. Well, because why? It's just not. I don't know. People who have been converted. You know, are like, oh, they're so comfortable. And I'm like, I guess. Maybe not for everybody. Yeah. So I know. Not sold. And I, I think for mainstream, it's going to take a lot of convincing. And I'm not about to convince you, like, oh, unless we're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think, but think about it. Ten years ago, you would not have worn leggings for running. Probably. Right. Yeah, I guess I would have worn like I don't know, like, like swishy pants, like insulated then, swishy yeah, pants exactly, or something. Exactly, or like fleece lined, whatever. Yeah, they're running. Right. But now, like leggings are great. They're streamlined. They're easy. Yeah, they well, their sweat, I feel like I, I wear functional. them because they're they're functional for mm-hmm. running. Yep. And uh, I feel like they're more aerodynamic. Absolutely. Than the swishy pants. Oh, they totally are, just by the nature of what they are. Yeah. So. I get it for like Olympic sports, <laughs> you know, and then the well, clearly I'm culture. an Olympian. Exactly. You look <laughs> like an Olympian. Yeah. Um, I'm an Olympic like, podcaster. Yeah. Athleisure as like a thing. That's, yeah. like, so I just learned about this phrase. Oh, yeah. Athleisure. It's, you go onto any college campus right now, or actually you go to any of the suburbs of DC, and athleisure is everywhere. Like, I worked on a. Um, a short film in Bethesda, so that's another sort of outer suburb north of Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I went to the coffee shop so I could get some early morning coffee, and the women were already there with their baby strollers and their yoga pants. And I don't actually know how many of them had actually just come from yoga. Probably none about of half. Them. Maybe none. <laughs> yeah. Not to judge, but, like, it just, that's... They're comfortable. They're easy. You pull them on, you go out, sure. you're done. Yeah. But it's become not... Um, not a functional necessity. It's right, just being yeah. part of life. Well, I, you know, I was saying the other day that uh, my favorite thing now, just in general as American culture, is that, like, everything here is, like, my 12-year-old dream come true. Mm-hmm. It's, like, things I used to get beat up about. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, oh, comic books are cool. Uh-huh. Star Wars is cool. Yeah, being a nerd is cool. Being a nerd is cool. I can wear sweatpants everywhere. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to judge me. Yeah. Everybody else is wearing sweatpants. Uh-huh. I'm like, this is like awesome. awesome. 12-year-old me would be so happy. <laughs> That's right. It's really true. The geeks have won. We've the inherited the earth. Won. And we're wearing sweatpants and everybody's playing video games. <laughs> Pretty much. Everybody likes tech. Mm-hmm. I got made fun of when I was a kid. 
for handing out my email address instead of my phone number. Oh, really? You yeah. were You were ahead of the curve. Exactly. But nobody saw it. Everybody's like, who's going to email you? Like, who emails? I'm like, everybody will do this one day. Yeah. And you were correct. And I was correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Phone number is not for talking. It's for texting. Exactly. You know? it's, yeah. Who wants to talk on the phone? I hate the phone. Do you? I hate the phone. I'm an introverted heart, you know, but like, I just, I hate the phone so much. <laughs> if I, if I could text my way through conversation, I totally will. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's the absence of tone and all that, but like, ooh, the phone just freaks me out. Well, who needs tone when, like my dream, when if I deliver, if I want like delivery, mm-hmm. is the closest I'm getting right now is Domino's. Not that I like like Domino's pizza, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just the easiest, the easiest if I can thing. text a pizza emoji. Yes. And if there if there was a way I could get zero human interaction, just have a note on the door, be like, just leave it, just uh-huh. leave it. I've already left you a tip. Here yep. it is. Yep. Just yep. leave the pizza, ring the doorbell, and run away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my dream. <laughs> I order my pizza online so yeah. that I just talk to the delivery guy. Our delivery guy's very nice, you know. I actually, I'm sure they're all well, very pleasant. I just never want to see him. I, yeah, I'm like, here's your money. The tip's already on the card. Yeah, yeah, it's hard because I mean, the lesser human interaction. I don't want to say I'm for it. I work in a collaborative art, but <laughs> when I'm done with my collaborative art, I want to go home and like not talk to anyone. <laughs> well, so that's interesting. So, how do you manage working in the theater and being an introvert? Because mm-hmm. I feel like you know everybody. If you ask my wife, she would say I'm always performing. If I'm in front of people, I'm performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, no, I just, I just, I don't know. As, as I, I consider myself an ambivert. I can be, mm-hmm, you know, alone with my thoughts and equally yeah, with other people. Neither but makes you nuts. I'm, I like getting my energy from other people as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what an extrovert is. Sure. So, like, how do you feel as an introvert in the theater? Oh, there are a lot of introverts in the theater. And I think a lot of us, I know in the D.C. community, we've found each other. We sort of <laughs> cling hard to each other. You're all designing <laughs> sets very quietly. Yeah, I don't know. I think, for me, like, one of... I began in undergrad wanting to take that acting class because I thought, oh, this would be good for me. It'll get me out of my shell. Uh Acting class was full, but there was lots of room in set design. (laughs) (laughs) And they both met at 9 a.m. So um, I was like, all right, sign me up for set design. And then I just kind of kept, kept going, really. I've made most of my focus in costume design, but designing in general, it keeps me involved in the world. Mm -hmm. Um... And I get to collaborate with some really amazing people, some of whom are great friends of mine. And But I, I can kind of engage when I need to, and then I can go home and tinker and work on my own and then come back to it. So I think that the being able to go back and forth and not having to be around people, like, I actually, more about this later, but I've got a show that's coming up next fall um, that I'm actually that I've been writing about the Korean adoptee experience. Oh, really? I'm going to be stepping into the shoes of, like, part dramaturg director. Wow. And I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's just going to take a lot out of me. But I've hit this point in my career where designing just doesn't feel like enough, and I need to, like, make more mm-hmm. art. I need to really put my stamp on something. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to get back to that. We'll get back to that. We're going to get back to that. Are are you originally from the D.C. area? No, I'm from Connecticut. So you're, oh, really? Such a New Englander, like so in the South. New England <laughs> transplant. Oh yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I grew up in rural Connecticut. Which part of Connecticut? Uh, a little town called Durham's. It's like right in the shadow of Wesleyan University. Okay. So not not far from Middletown at all. Actually did a semester, sort of a combined semester in high school um, at Wesleyan. Decided I didn't want to be that close to home and then went to college uh, in Middlebury, Vermont. So I chose another rural community <laughs> further north to go to school. Wow. Um, again, like, oh, I didn't know how much I liked people, <laughs> you know. But I was just comfortable in the small town mentality of it uh-huh. all. So going to school in another rural area didn't really bother me. What college was that? Uh, Middlebury College. Oh, Middlebury College yeah. in Middlebury, Vermont. In Middlebury, Vermont. Is that like a smaller college? Yeah, it's like 2,400 people. Wow, that is, is small. small. Mm-hmm. That is super... I think that's that's a little bit bigger than my high school. Mm-hmm. If there was like a super senior class in my high school, that yeah. probably would have hit that. No, I had 72 people in my high school class. Uh-huh. We were really small. So like high, high school was like 400 people. So moving to wow. like 2,400 was a lot. So that like, is oh like pretty big for you. Yeah. But how big were the classes? They must have been pretty small, right? They were really small. Like they're anywhere. I had classes with two people, which were just amazing. Wow. And then I had classes with like... I think my biggest class might have been like 60 people, and that was like a big lecture. But there weren't many of those. I think I went, I took two big lectures my whole time there. It's pretty cool, though. You got like a very personalized, like yeah. almost, for the two-people class, like almost one-on-one it was amazing. interaction yeah. with your teachers. I, I owe, and those were in costume design, so I owe a lot to that education. Yeah. yeah. So you, so your first semester, you signed up for scenic art, or mm-hmm. scenic design. Scenic design. And you just kept going from there? Kind of, Yeah. <laughs> I was actually, when I entered Middlebury, the reason I went to Middlebury is because I wanted to major in classical languages. Oh, really? It's a big language school. It's sort of known for its big summer language program. Uh-huh. So really, they're known for modern language, but their classics program is amazing. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to major in classics. I'm going to take Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and I'm going to become a linguist. Wow. You know, and that, that was my big goal. And I was like, and I'll do music on the Why side. Why Latin, Greek, and Hebrew? <laughs> I, lo- I loved it in high school. I really did. All of those, or did you? Uh, I took like, Latin. You took Latin, and then I like dipped my feet and I dipped my toe in Greek. So um, you're in Connecticut, and you uh-huh. decide you're going to take Latin. Yeah, it's you know New England is old. It's 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 all that sort of old tradition. Even though the I went to public high New school, England. like Latin is still being taught in many high schools. But it's like a dead language, mm-hmm. right? Like even oh, the, yeah. even the Catholic Church is like, nah, yeah, we ain't gonna done. do this. I know, and that's like, you know, if the Catholic Church is like this old news, it's pretty. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really old. old. It's pretty passing. <laughs> I just, I loved it. I don't know. I, I, I'm the my inner nerd is sort of in love with etymology and like where language comes from and how sure. words are built and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So there, there is a part of my brain. That I think is, is starting to atrophy <laughs> as I age and use it less, you know. But there's there's a part of my brain that sort of loves the organization of a language uh-huh. and like declensions and, and things like that, you know. Of, I don't like, even know what that is. Really, what is declension? Um, oh my god! Now I'm like, it's how a noun. I'm gonna get this wrong. It's like the various endings of um, how a noun is put together. So. So, like, the second half of a diphthong? God, I can't explain it anymore. See? Gone. <laughs> um, cut that. <laughs> oh, no. It's oh, all, it's I know. All it's all staying in. <laughs> you know? It's, um, I don't know. Just, I love how language is built. It's just, it's one of those things that 
something something clicked. I mean, I think it complemented my interest in music as well. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like I left a life behind. Like, in high school, my whole world was Latin and music. L- like, and Latin and theater. music. Mm-hmm. But yeah. not Latin music. No. No. <laughs> you weren't into, like, Gregorian was. chants or, or not, <laughs> that not kind of stuff? Not really, no. I, you know, I we listened to, like, Carmina Burana, and I was like, oh, I feel cool. like that hit the two perfectly. Language mm-hmm. and... What about, like, old, like, operas? Do you, do you like... Are you a fan of the opera? Not really, actually. It's not really my thing. Some are really beautiful, but... I don't know, like... I guess I like Baroque opera. Like, I really like Handel. Uh-huh. Sort of the 17th century stuff. But, mm, but I don't for the most part, not so much. listen to opera, you know? No, like on, Madame Butterfly, you're like, I'm out of this. They're know. fine. They're I okay. Mean, yeah. They're, they're no... Like, when I sang, I studied opera. But it just didn't, like... It, it didn't turn me on. <laughs> it was just one of those things that I was like, eh, this is fine. Like, I'm glad I'm studying it, but German's annoying. And like, <laughs> German is annoying. <laughs> too many syllables. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, Latin and Greek. Latin and Greek. Then I started Greek. Uh-huh. And then I couldn't read it, and I got really frustrated. And then I dropped my... I, I went from a classics major to classic minor. And then I dropped that all together, too. Oh, yeah. I think some of it was part of, like... It sounds like being Korean. Yeah, I know. I'm going to learn Korean someday. It's on my list. Good luck. Good luck out there. Oh, my God. It's so hard. It's it's tough. It's so hard. You think Greek is tough. I know. Yeah. I I can sort of read the alphabet in Korean, (laughs) sort of. Enough to be like, yes. Well, that is the start. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, and then I yeah I just sort of quit altogether after Greek. It was mm-hmm. just too much. But my first year, you have to take like a placement test to yeah. get whatever level you're sure. in. And they in classics, it's so small. So to place me in Latin, they just kind of handed me a book from the shelf. But it was one that I had already read and translated. So <laughs> I just started. I was like, I've already done this. Wait, That's wait, okay, wait, just hold read. On. You, they handed you a book in of Latin, Latin. Yeah. That you had already read and translated. Yeah. Yeah. From high school. From high school. You were, like, that deep. You are like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this Latin yeah. full on. Yeah. And wow. so they're, like, I think it was, like, the Aeneid. I mean, it's one of those things that you sort of do in high school Latin. Sure. By the time you get to the fourth level. Right. So, and I had taken the course of Wesleyan and Catullus, you know, so I was doing, like, Latin poetry. I was really into it. I'm telling you, it was a giant nerd. I think you would have to be to do that. And um, so I just started reading. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh, oh, wow, you really have a, you know, facility with this. And I was like, well, I've already read this. And they're like, oh, well, if you've already read this, we're, we're going to place you in 400 level. So I was a freshman That's what in college, I would do. Sure. placed in 400 level Latin. Yeah. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, I just, it, it, and it was at 8 a.m. too. So 8 a.m. class. Well, that's okay. Nobody's speaking English at 8 a.m. No one's thinking in any language at 8 a.m. Yeah, exactly. And I'm such, I'm not a morning person at all. So I'd go to class and I would just sort of like fade through some something. I don't even remember what we read. Um, and I just, I, I realized that what I loved about it was... Uh, like the more cultural aspects uh-huh. of, of, of how the Romans lived and, and that kind of thing in the history, oh, yeah. really. You know, it was much more interesting to me than the language itself. So I gave it another semester and was like, well, you know, let me take the 300 level and see if that's any better. 
I'm just fine. So you, like, like tried to go down of, from yeah, 400 to 300? Yeah, and I mean, I did fine in 400, but it wasn't So was 300 easier? Exciting. Yeah, it was just different, you know. It was just different stuff, texts, different, different stuff. material. Mm-hmm. And what about Greek? Hated it. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I got I got into day two when I was like, nope. <laughs> Dropped that, <laughs> took something else. <laughs> well, the Greeks, I don't know. About, well, I don't know about the Romans, but the Greek have a deep history in, in theater. Mm-hmm, indeed. So yeah. you, that didn't interest you? You didn't like, you were like, I'm not going to we read any of this. We were reading plays. You're not going to so, do any of this. No, in, we were reading like Greek. philosophers and I was like, this is the worst. <laughs> so. You didn't think of those as like miniature plays? No. No? Mm-mm. You were like, I'm going to listen to all these fables and, and stories. No. Already <laughs> these been there. epics. Yeah. No. I had done it in Latin. And, like, it's, it's great. You know, you've got, like, Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphoses, and all these things are based in Ovid. Uh-huh. But it's helpful for that. But beyond that, you know, it's just... You're not like, interested in, like, the Dionysus, like, theater sure. wine festival. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Bacchanalia. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can tell you what it is, you know. But I think I'm glad that I have the background in classics because uh-huh. there's so much literature based in it and so many plays are based in it. Sure, I mean, but, there are whole archetypes based on those. Yeah, but it's like I got enough to get my feet wet so uh-huh. that I can kind of pay it forward when we're talking about plays, but I'm no I'm no classic scholar. So how long did you, did, did you stay in Vermont after you continued your theater education uh, there? Like a month. Month or two, and then you just moved down here immediately after. Yeah, I came down here for an internship at Only Only Theater. It's way out in the suburbs. Uh huh. Um, and they're they're a great theater. I cut my teeth there as an intern. Lived behind the booth of the theater. You know, like definitely nice. gave my whole life to them um, for about eight months. And then from there, I was accepted into graduate school at University of Maryland. So, okay. So made the leap to school. Cool. cool. Um, they essentially had an opening and the professor there contacted my boss who she knew and, um, said, Hey, I want to meet your intern. And so <laughs> it was the fastest, most whirlwind acceptance ever. It was just like, we, we met, I brought my portfolio, um, we had this sort of amazing Chinese lunch. She's Chinese. She's this, like, very strong-willed Chinese woman, very fast-moving, like, kind of amazing. Sort of like my mother in a lot of ways. So she's like, my mom next. <laughs> mom, too. Um, saw my stuff, was like, great, I think you'll be great here. Uh, and then we, like, drove really fast to the graduate school. She, like, thrust the paperwork in my hand. It's like, fill this out. I'll see you tomorrow. I was like, uh. By then sure. it was, like, July. <laughs> school started in August. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into graduate school. Nice. It's kind of insane. Um, that's not bad though. That's not a bad, no, I don't think it does. Yeah. Wow. So do we, so let's go back to Vermont. You got Mm -hmm. your BFA in theater? BA. You got your BA in theater and then you came to U Maryland. Mm -hmm, Where I have my MFA in costume design. MFA in costume design. Mm -hmm. And how much more design, do you, did you continue on that trajectory of design in your BA in Vermont? Um, yeah. Or was it, like, general theater stuff? No, I was doing a lot of specific costume design in uh, in Middlebury. Okay. So, like, I, I did a thesis in costume design and uh-huh. that kind of thing. So it was definitely what I was walking out with. Um, although along the way I got a lot of, um, like, there was a class in 20th century performance aesthetics, you know, you're, and I had to take acting and directing when I was there. Oh, yeah? It's, it's a general program. So, so how was that for you? Hard. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> As an introvert or just in general? In like, general. That just wasn't, like, your jam? I was much, much quieter in undergrad. 
like I really kind of hid behind my designs. It just, I didn't, after not getting into that acting class, but then like meeting the actors who were like uh-huh. actors, it was, they were intense. I was like, oh my God, these people are terrifying. Um, what was so scary about them? Huh, just a lot of extroverts in one place, you know, sure. and like a lot of people, I mean, it's college, so, and now I know this is a professor seeing my students, like, it's an insecure time, everybody wants to be the best, everyone wants to be the funniest, uh. everyone wants to be the loudest, and the coolest, and so everyone is competing for, like, jockeying for the top position, and whatever it happens to be, you know, and so it's just a tough environment to be in, so I didn't really come out of my shell until, like, graduate school, Okay, I had to grow a spine to survive, <laughs> so... Um, but you were still doing costume design yeah. for your MFA. Yeah. So, I mean, how much, other than, like, sizing actors and getting the costumes on, seeing how they looked, how much interaction did you have with them as an MFA student? Um, with actors, really, it was a lot in fittings. Um, there's no, uh, well, now there is, but at the time, there was no graduate program in acting. Mm-hmm. So all the actors were undergraduates there. Um, and okay. there were a bunch of them. So, you know, we'd work on a play, and I'd have, like... 15 to 20 actors and so I would spend an hour with each one of them in a fitting room Mm -hmm. you know fitting various things with a team of people um and so you know on in one-on-one conversations I'm totally fine or if I've got a mission I'm like I've got to make sure this costume fits you in 45 minutes you know that's what I have to do but I think through those relationships and through that practice of just like fitting so many people again and again and again Mm -hmm. You know, I developed a comfort. I actually really love working with actors. Like, actors actually give me a lot of energy. Like, I mean, that's where I kind of become an ambivert. But then I get out of... I get out of fittings, and I'm like, I'm done. (laughs) You know, I'll do, like, ten fittings in a day, and I'm just... I'm toast at the end. Do you Um, usually work on, like, plays or musicals or a mix of both? Um, I am mostly a plays designer I actually just and I've done a bunch of plays with music but it's different than like yeah musical. yeah it's, it's not I like just a musical, designed musical. Um, my first musical <laughs> this oh, past really? year it was American Idiot oh nice yeah. I like that one. so awesome how is that different for you is there a difference for you costume design I assume you're doing costume design yeah too. yeah yeah I think it's just it, you're playing the numbers game when you're doing musicals of like oh there's three you know, USO type girls and seven soldiers, uh-huh. and they all need to look the same. And, you know, then right, you've got yeah, yeah. eight guys who are all in the male ensemble, and they all need to be in some sort of grunge punk thing, but they're uh-huh. not all the same. So, in some ways, I approached it like a play, but I knew that I had these sort of groups of multiples um, that I had to budget for and figure out where to borrow from. Oh, yeah. So, it's logistical as a musical. But I don't know, like, a good friend of mine designs musicals uh, mostly at Signature Theater in Virginia and he's just a genius when it comes to musicals he just knows he just knows what to do and I look Mm -hmm. at his work and I'm like I don't know if I could do that I mean I could but I just don't I wouldn't enjoy it. Big, flashy statements is, is not how I... It's not my MO. I'm a much more, like, understated, subtle changes mm-hmm. clothing designer, so... Like, what are your favorite things to design? I love... Let's see. Three, four years ago? No, I don't know. Um... Rorschach Theater, which is my husband's company. He's co-artistic director there. Cool. We did Neil Gaiman's Neverwear. And it was just awesome because it was a great fusion. Well, it was like a fun book 
where you could take characters that already exist in somebody's sort of descriptive canon. Like, there's a lot of fan art of all of the Neverwhere characters. So there's a big... There's the TV series, there's the comic, there's all that stuff. Um, so taking all of that information and kind of parsing it down into here's what these actors are going to look like and creating a show um, out of all of that. So it was a fusion of, like, fantasy and reality, and it was all really dirty and gritty, and that was really fun. So I think it's it's the work that that spans worlds, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like one and above one and below, or like I do a lot of work that sort of balances like East and West, you know, where I'm fusing Indonesian costume with Western costume, Ooh. et cetera. So I, I end up getting called in for a lot of shows that, yeah, on, on sort of Asian topics, you know, <laughs> but also like shows that demand a, a sort of unique aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I feel like I'm a blend of East and West. I can do that. That's so. true. More so, so than most people. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, How, sure. Well, okay. We'll get back to some other questions about yeah, theater yeah. later because it's just a passion. But we'll, totally. But we'll talk a little bit about the, the boy and adoption stuff that you know, the show is <laughs> know. partially yeah, about. Really, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, so, so you are a Korean adoptee. I am. Now, what age were you adopted five to? Five months. Five months? hmm And then uh, which agency were you adopted through? I was adopted through Holt. Through Holt? Yep. I'm oh, one of the yeah. Many, many Over processes. to Connecticut. Yes. All right. So five months in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Come through Holt. Yep. Go to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Parents pick you up at, like, JFK or... Uh, they actually point? came to Korea. They came to Korea? Yeah, they wow. came to Seoul. Apparently, I found out when I was there two years ago that... They kind of came in the era where Seoul, uh, where Holt was sort of going through its weird corruptions, like 77, 78 were not great years huh. for, for Holt, so they were asking parents to come all the way to Korea to Oh, wow. Movies. Yeah, so my parents came all the way out. What was this corruption stuff about? This is the first time I've heard oh, about this. Oh, I think it's like something was going on with the president embezzling funds, or something was Ooh, messed up that way. Uh-oh. I don't know. I got that straight from, uh, from Molly Holt's mouth. Really? <laughs> yeah. All right, so... How was, uh, how was, they, they came to pick you up. Yep. <laughs> how long did they stay for? I think they were there for like two weeks. That's a good trip. So it's a pretty good trip. That's a good yeah. amount of time. Mm-hmm. That was, I'm assuming that's their first time to Korea. To Korea, yeah. My mom is actually, or my mom was, she's passed on. She, uh, was Taiwanese. So, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I kind of grew up in an Asian home. Uh-huh. But it was more like being like a Chinese American. Right, in some right, ways. right. So, Yeah. And what did your parents do? My dad was an engineer uh, for uh, United Technologies in Connecticut, so he works with helicopters. Oh, cool. Uh, Sikorsky. Wow. And then uh, mom was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. So he was like a defense industry guy, engineer. Yeah, he worked mostly. I asked him when when I was little. This has always stuck with me. I'm like, Dad, what do you do? You know, And he's like, well, I I help keep the helicopters right side up. (laughs) Seems important. So, like flight control, um, he frequently in his earlier years would like go up in airplanes and take records, probably while other people in the back like throwing up, you know, like anagraph kind of stuff, you know. Um, He always wanted to be a pilot, but his eyesight wasn't very good, so Uh, he got involved in aviation, but wasn't directly flying planes. Yeah, at least he got up there. Yeah, sounds often enough. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Cool. And then, how was growing up in Connecticut? Hmm. There are things you notice 
in retrospect, and then there are things, you know, that you sort of notice while, while you're going through it. Yeah. Like, I was the only Asian in Miles, uh-huh. you know, besides my mom. There's one other family in town that I don't even know, because you just don't ask at that age, like, what are you? Um, I think they're Korean. I should probably ask him now. We're Facebook friends. But, um... Well, that's cool. You know, there's... It was, that was it, <laughs> you know? So I was like, sure. I'm part of the 0.1% minority in my school district. Right. Uh, so at the time, I thought, oh, you know, yeah, I, I was aware that I was different, but in some ways, I grew up just as white as all of my peers. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I got out and moved to a much more diverse city that I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I was totally isolated. I don't know what it means to be Asian. So it just, like... I sort of had, like, an adulthood crisis when yeah. I got out. And I was like, I don't actually know. Now people expect things from me, especially in my work. People kind of expect me to know all sorts of things about Asia or whatever. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I just don't have a basis in it. Everything I know about Asia, I feel like I've researched. Hmm. So I'm like an armchair Asian. <laughs> Your mom didn't educate you in Taiwan. No, and no she stuff. she's definitely of the era of like my kid will learn English, assimilate, and you will assimilate. Do you think so? There's a time function to that, like mm-hmm. a generational function, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. But also. It's interesting. Is she a was your mother a first generation immigrant to the United States? Mm-hmm. Second yeah. generation. So maybe she was also like she oh she also had a, yeah she was also out of a hard time like oh mm-hmm. I need to be as as American as possible yeah. to mitigate any of these issues about my foreignness. Absolutely, yeah. And even though she kind of, I guess I lived my first couple years in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and we uh-huh. lived in a much more you know diverse neighborhood. But then schools, your parents move out, so that. We ended up in the rural community so I could go to a better school, which is a move that they made for me, which I totally understand. Um, but up, and, up until then, like, she worked in a factory inspecting uh, trim and lace. And then, um, but yeah, when, when we moved to the rural area, you know, she stopped working altogether. So I think she began to isolate herself you know, down in her world. Mm. It's interesting, though, having spent so much time, because she was home, and she was teaching me English, (laughs) oddly enough, through these books that she'd had from Taiwan that taught her English. Um, So sort of getting that second, secondary education through these Chinese books. But um, I actually spoke English with a Chinese accent. So when I arrived at my new school... They're like, get this kid in speech therapy because <laughs> um, they wanted to like erase my oh, accent because no. it's yeah because you sounded Chinese yeah that's so and interesting yeah that's the story I got sort of after the fact but I do remember the speech therapy uh-huh. you know? it was like several times a week they're like put on these headphones and listen to this and repeat after me and I was like oh my god <laughs> I was in speech therapy. Um, so my voice, my Connecticut accent, you know, is very, very speech therapy. Interesting. Because I don't... Yeah. Is there a Connecticut accent? There is. I don't notice it. It's like... It's the ends of words. Things like uh, like button, you know, like the thing on your jacket. Uh-huh. We're like button. We tend to Oh, that's a Jersey thing the, too, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a mid northern, northern mid-Atlantic. Yeah, you know? well, there's so like no T's. Or some T's or D's. Exactly, yeah, button, mitten... Yeah. Well, Well, sure. Like nobody says, you know, the capital of New Jersey is Trenton. Right. Exactly. It's Trenton. Trenton. Yeah. 
It's almost like there's just an apostrophe there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's not as like northern as Massachusetts. That's a totally different oh accent, yeah yeah so. it's a different accent. But uh, yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> like this is totally. So did they have short. like tapes that were like? Well, how would like a t- how would your mother teach you how to say like button or or a word like that? Yeah, I don't even know. That that's the thing is like I can't I can't actually remember. So they put these headphones on you and they're like, it's Billy not goes button. To the store. It's button. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they taught me the Connecticut accent. I mean, I think when I get drunk, I still mix up my L's and my R's. I mean, there's there's some stuff in there, you know, that I'm like, oh. I'm that's ashamed. not that's not like an Asian thing. That's just a drunk thing. <laughs> I know. But I think some of it is weird vestiges of that, too. Like, it all comes out. It all comes out. It's like my friend's Boston accent comes out when he's drunk. Oh, you know? yeah. My Jersey accent, I think, really only comes out if I'm, like, drunk and angry. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jersey, the accent of yelling. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. It's like mm-hmm. accent of like excitedness. Like mm-hmm. if I'm like fist pumping, that's, <laughs> yeah! that's what happens. It's true. That's funny. <laughs> or if I just finished watching like The Soprano, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that's when it comes out. That's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. What kind of other uh, did did you grow up with anything else uh, adoption related wise? Uh, in your household, so how long were you, were, did your mom teach you like English and try to homeschool you? This is just before oh, you went to no, kindergarten. Oh no, just or? before I went to kindergarten. Okay, you know? and, and then, I mean she was my sort of biggest exposure. Like she'd walk me to and from kindergarten. I was talking in full sentences by two, so they're like, "Get this kid to school." Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a lot of sort of early, I guess what we'd now call pre-K. Yeah, I don't know how schools work yeah, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have kids, but um, <laughs> the. So, yeah, I guess I had a lot of early exposure to that, but, yeah, other than that, I don't really remember, like, formal schooling of any kind until I moved. Like, that was, like, 83. It was, like, four Mm -hmm. or five. Um, And it was that weird thing of, like, my birthday's in January, and so the cutoff is always December for, like, what year they place your kids in. So they're like, well, she's already completed half a year of kindergarten in this other place, so just put her in. Mm -hmm. So I entered kindergarten at, like, four. (laughs) I don't know why they let me in. (laughs) but um, Because you already did half a year somewhere else. I know. They're like, she's Asian. She's smart. She's fine. She's fine. (laughs) It's cool. Um, she has a weird accent, else. but it's fine. Yeah, don't worry about this kid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess there was that. But that didn't quite answer your question at all, <laughs> which now I don't even remember. Was there anything else adoption-related? Um, yeah, like, did you do any camps hmm. or Saturday activities no, or any of that kind of stuff? nothing like that. Nothing in Connecticut? No. Not really. I know there's stuff in Jersey. There weren't any, like, uh, parent groups that your parents went to? It was the 80s. Uh, <laughs> I think that, like... It was the 80s. We had Speak and Spell and I Sesame did. Street. I, yeah. <laughs> it was like, Speak and Spell taught me English. Um, I think... I, I I was a really, like, independent kid, you know? My parents just, like, gave me books and said, go read this thing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just, like, as an only child, I spent a lot of time just, like, reading and playing with my speaking spell and watching Sesame Street. Um, so you think that fed your, like, introversion? Yeah. It sounds like know. your mother was a little bit introverted, too. Was yeah, your dad absolutely. introverted? Yep. 
Yeah, we're very introverts. The whole family of just introverts. Family of introverts. Yeah, it makes you wonder about the nature and nurture thing. I'm like, oh, am I an introvert because of my birth parents, or am I an introvert because of uh-huh. how I was raised? And I think it might be a little of both. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I didn't. They asked me in high school if I wanted to go to the Holt camp in oh, yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. And. I don't, I should have said yes, you know, like what now back, I'm like kicking myself and I'm like, you should have gone, you would have started on this journey much sooner. Uh-huh. Instead, I was like, no, oh, I want to go to soccer camp with my friends, you know, because like the idea of, of leaving and going to a camp where I didn't know anybody, it just, yeah. it seemed ludicrous. Well, especially in high school, if you have yeah, friends who are all going here, mind, it's like, they're all going to soccer camp. I want to go to soccer camp. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that makes that makes total sense, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're already like an introvert. Like, why would I want to meet new people when I already have these friends? Yeah, yeah. I've worked hard to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I didn't ever take them up on that. And, yeah, I really didn't start this whole adoption journey. You know, like, you feel like you're always aware of it, but it's the thing that right, was ticking yeah. in the back of my head. When I turned 30, I thought, okay... By the time you turn forty, you have to do something about this somewhere. <laughs> you know, like you got to go to Korea. You got to. Is that what you're saying? By thirty, I'm going to do this. I'm by forty, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I thought, okay, you've made it this far in your life. Time to time to buckle down and figure out how to how to get to Korea. Uh-huh. And then it like laid dormant. Um, until two years ago. Oh, really? So, so you yeah. had, like, really no burning sensation to explore any of these issues deeply prior, prior to two years ago? Yeah. So what got you interested two years ago? You just set a goal for yourself? Kind of set a goal for myself, and it kind of was, like, plans lined up. I, uh, what was it? My, <laughs> this is going to get deeper and crazier and weirder. Um, my married a guy who grew up in Singapore. Uh-huh. Um, he's white. Singapore's very nice. Yeah, he's white and the son of expats, but he's like kind of like a third generation expat. Like his great grandparents were missionaries, his grandparents were missionaries. Uh-huh. His dad grew up at a small island in Indonesia, the son of missionaries. So, and then, um, that's his really father's interesting. A, yeah, his father's a so is he like teacher, Singaporean? Editor. I mean, he's American, but yeah, he spent. I don't know, at least 14 years on and off in Singapore. Wow. So in some respects, culturally, he's more Asian than I am. Uh Um, And it always makes people laugh. They're like, oh, he's from Singapore. Dub's from Connecticut. You know, and everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. (laughs) Like, in what ways is he Asian? Um, Just, like, his love for the food is his appreciation for the culture. Singapore is, um, has, is a great food country. Oh, my God. It's just amazing. It's expensive, it's but it's like they have everything, and it's all good. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Hawker He stands. had to Hawker teach stands. me to eat spicy food. I had to train before we uh, it requires before training. we went to Singapore for the first time because <laughs> me and my New England palate could not take it. Can't do the chili crab. I love it now, but <laughs> like in the beginning, oh my god, my first trip there, we were like, just go get chicken and rice. I mean, it's, it's yeah, not spicy. It's very easy. It's good. It's not offensive. But, nah, you know, we we went and I had chili crab. 
And actually, like, his mom had to finish it for me. I just couldn't take it. Couldn't finish it? it was rough. Um, Because it's too spicy. It is spicy, but it's so good. I think I could handle it now, I think. See, (laughs) I got to start training again. But anyway, because, and we go there, because his parents were still there, they retired to Penang, we go oh, Penang, yeah. I mean, there's like a Penang, whole... Penang, also amazing food and very cheap. And so. also very spicy. I mean, like, it's Penang super, is like, when you hear spicy. Penang, it's like, that's... To me, that's... Uh, it's, a, it's a simile for spice. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, Penang yeah. Bistro is Gosh. spicy food. Spicy food. Watch out. So, since they retired to Penang... We go every year. Um, wow. They sort of help us fund a trip, and we, we go. And uh, so I get to go to Asia every single year, which it's is amazing. Sweet. It's but also a very long flight. It's a ridiculous long flight. <laughs> so we're usually there for two weeks or more, if we can be. Yeah. But I uh, tore my meniscus two years ago, Ooh. and it was after Randy had left. He had left already before me, and I was going to join him after delivering my exam. And, yeah, I was doing something totally stupid. I was, like, shopping for shoes for a show, and I, like, squatted down on the ground, and I just heard this crack. And I was just like, I am not getting back up. Oh, my God, you know. So I did not fly to Penang that year. (laughs) And after, like, many hours of, like, crying on the phone and emailing and, like, talking to the airline, um, I was able to save the ticket, but I had to use it within the year. Okay. um, From when I bought it, which was, like, October. So I suddenly had this flight on Singapore Air to to Singapore, and I was like, wow, I don't know what to do. Maybe this is it. Maybe I'll go to Korea. So it was just sort of serendipity, huh. um, but I ended using, All cause you're torn using that ticket. I know. So, like, I recovered, and then I flew. Um, so, yeah, in the summer, I started, I visited my in-laws in Penang separately, and then I went to Seoul by myself for nine days. Wow. Which was the most, like, I think to date, the most intense, terrifying, exhilarating, exciting trip. Did ever. you have, like, an agenda while you were there? Did you have a plan? Or was it like, I'm just going to go explore Seoul by myself for nine days? Pretty much, yeah. I made an appointment with, with uh, Holt uh-huh. Adoption Services to go look at my file. Uh-huh. But then other than that, I met up with a few friends that I had found on Facebook who were living over there, who were visiting at the same time. What were they doing in Korea? Um, One of them, Chris Pack, she's now teaching at a university. Oh, yeah, Chris. she had moved back. How do you know her? Through Facebook. We were just talking about some book. I I don't know. I'd read about, like, oh, I was reading um, Ilana Kim's book, and I was like, has anyone read this book? It's really fascinating. Something, something. Will someone talk to me? There's some (laughs) of the Korean Korean books. And, of course, she responded. Uh Um, It was like, oh, yeah, that book's really excellent. And then we took our conversation. Um on a chat and then just ended up chatting for like two hours. Oh, she wow. grew up like 30 minutes from me in Connecticut. Yeah, she's pretty close. Yeah, so, um, yeah, when we found out we had all that in common, I'm like, we gotta meet. <laughs> so we ended up going to a Hoff in Seoul. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. But, uh, yeah, for all my listeners, a Hoff cool. is a bar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, serves chicken. Serves chicken <laughs> and, beer. and beer. And that's really all you need to know. Pretty I guess, much, about yeah. That. So you met up with her. I mean, well, okay, so you decide you're going to go to Korea. Mm-hmm. I, I assume that's when you start reading the books and doing some research. Bef- yeah, in that sort of year. Just started reading in a year, voraciously. So you tear your meniscus and you're like, I'm going to start exploring this mm-hmm. prior to my trip. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. use this ticket for a trip to Korea. Yep. And you meet up with Chris Pack and go to Hoff. Pretty much. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then read my file. And read your file. Do you have you have you looked at your American file before? I you have, read? yeah. And the difference that I did not know is that there's a new piece of paper in my Korean file uh-huh. that I had never seen. And what's seen. that say? That was my all my parent information. And none so, of it was like redacted. Well, names were redacted. Okay. Which is such a strange thing that Holt does. I mean, I I get it. I respect that they have to like protect. Uh huh. There are people, but um, sort of, uh, I guess, demographic information, height, weight, what they did, what their interests were, physical descriptions oh, of wow. them were all there. And I was uh-huh. like, wow. So like, I don't think mine had that much. <laughs> introvert, you know, um, who, was, who was short and had a round face. <laughs> um, it said all that? Yeah, it was really fascinating. And then, uh, and the, the weirdest thing about it, like, I was fine, I was fine, I was taking notes, I was like, I'm gonna be, it was kind of like being, um, an anthropologist to my own life in some ways, like, my brain as a scholar was able to be like, okay, when you can't handle it, step back, look at the world around you, take notes, see Uh everything. I was fine, I was taking notes, doing my thing, and then she's like, um, oh, occupation, clerk in a tailor shop and I just started oh. crying because I was and she's like are you okay I was like that's what I do <laughs> like it just knowing that you know now now knowing that there's a possibility that I grew up in utero listening to the sound of sewing machines is like really mm. fascinating to me because I'm actually really sensitive to machinery really oh yeah like I I know from across the room like if my students are sewing, I know if I hear like a sound in the change in the motor, I already know what's wrong. And I'm like, oh, your needle tension's a little tight. And they're like, what? <laughs> Freaks them out. Um, a weird special skill, really probably just from experience. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that like that's just been part of my biology the whole time. Wow. Yeah. That's so, I always like wonder about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. about like, you know, what kind of occupations, because I haven't, I haven't, I've done a search, but it didn't go anywhere, right? So, like, yeah. I still have that kind of mystery behind it. And it's like, yeah. I'm always wondering what kind of occupation, like, my father had, mm-hmm. or what he looked like, or that yeah. kind of stuff. And it's always like, I wonder what he did, like, what did, what did he do? Right. For a profession. It's like, what did my mother do? Like, what, I wonder what they did. What was her yeah. mannerisms like? I mean, it's interesting mm-hmm. that introvert was on the file for your mother like because he was an extrovert and apparently he was tall so dad come on what happens here i know i stopped at five two even with american (laughs) dairy (laughs) but uh he was like according to her because this was like the social worker intake form Uh very social very extroverted probably a bit of a player you know um be positive blood type. Yeah, That's exactly. What they say. Things like that. You know? <laughs> like, okay. Um, but yeah, that form was like totally new to me, and so that, in some ways, that that information alone made the trip worth it because I just I ha- didn't have any of that. How so, deep into the trip were you when you went like to Holt? Three days. So you still had like a week <laughs> after that for like six days. Were yeah. you? It was it was a lot. I remember like going to a coffee shop. Afterwards, did you like, go by yourself to, to hold? Yeah, oh yeah, and like 
yeah, afterwards, just, like, trying to hold it together. It rained all week, so it was, like, rainy and gray <laughs> outside, and I was like, oh, my God. It was, really like, blazingly hot. And um, when did, What time of year did you go? July. Oh, yeah. Well, at least it wasn't August. True. Still very hot, True, though. It was rough. Yeah. And I just, like, sat in my coffee shop, and um, one of my friends was up late, and uh, he texted me over IM or whatever, and he was just like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I've just been through a lot. Um, so luckily I had friends there to sort of like catch me because I just like sure. wept for like the next hour because it's just so. It's a lot to take it's in. It's so intense. Like, and yeah. it's so hard to explain to other people that that trip was not a vacation. Right. You know, it, it um. Yeah. So like, you get oh, back and everyone's like, oh, Korea. how's Korea? And I was like, I'm a changed person. <laughs> but you can't tell. <laughs> um, I look the same, you yeah. know. But now I know. Yeah, I remember posting on Facebook like the day after. I'd be like, I finally know my story. Yeah, three hundred likes. You know, it was just one of those like landslide. Like people who'd known what I was doing were like right. super supportive, but so hard to explain to others. I think that's why I take so much stock in like the Korean adoptee community because even though we don't really know each other, yeah. But Everybody's got really similar experiences. Um, it's kind yeah, of freaky. That's like, true. Um, despite the diversity of like where everybody grew up, what everyone's mm-hmm. doing now, and like how different we are as people. Because yeah. like, somebody told me early on, they're like, "Oh, well, not every KD is going to be your best friend." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah, duh." That just goes for people, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like because they're people. <laughs> um, but but it is a thing that that bond. Of, like, meeting with ALDC the first time for dinner at Banchan. They're mm-hmm. like, so, we ask, because, you know, you're new here. What's what's your story in a nutshell? And then the story's over in five minutes. And they're all like, oh, great. So, what do you do here? You know? And, like, we're just on to talking about everything else. Yeah. Because, the, like, that's out of the way. Everybody's got one of those. Yep. Um and then you don't have friends being like, that's fascinating. Can you tell me anything else? Have you ever thought about your birthday? And then I'm just like, please, please leave me alone. <laughs> like, and I'm waiting for, you know, probably a year of these questions with the piece that I'm building. I'm like, oh, embracing myself for all of the interview mm. questions that are like, so yeah. tell me about all of your thoughts on adoption. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> you're going to have so, to, I guess, yeah, you're going to have to form some opinions. Gird yourself for all of this. I know. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to try to help you through, through that yeah. right now by all giving right. you all those questions. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, we get, this is good practice. So it was, I, I'm sure you were, going through a little bit of shock while you were like reading all this stuff and mm-hmm. overwhelmed with emotion while you were reading it. Your, your mother had basically the same job that you did. Mm-hmm. Like once you got to collect your thoughts and take a step back and look at it, what mm-hmm. kind of feelings were going through you at the time upon discovering that information? Yeah. I think it was just really great to have the information. Again, I think I kind of stepped back into the anthropologist dev role and was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take this as stock as, as information as facts about my life, but uh-huh. facts that are, are deeply personal, you know, beyond like all the facts that I've already got. So I think in some ways I'm still processing all of those things. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for that information, 
but I'm not necessarily like there's always this questions of oh you're lucky to be adopted you should be grateful I'm I'm not grateful I'm I'm grateful to my parents for raising me you know right, but yeah. I don't <clears throat> feel particularly lucky <laughs> or or fortunate to have been saved from a life on the streets you know um, that it, it's yeah since thinking about the greater implications of being essentially forcibly removed from a country that I could have been in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really hard. Like, to look around and have that feeling in soul of blending in completely, but then being betrayed by opening my mouth, because I just don't have the language at all. I, like, barely have toddler language in, in Korean. So yeah. I think there's still that But you're good disconnect. in Latin. I'm good in Latin. <laughs> I could be great in the Vatican. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think... I just I feel a, a deep sense of loss from from that that hadn't really hit me before in a way that I could articulate. Yeah. Um, and I was like, wow, this this is what I could have had. I don't know whether it could have been better or worse. I, I kind of don't care. I, I just you know knowing that that is something that I cannot get back, um, no matter how hard I try. This is really. Mm-hmm sad <laughs> have you done a birth search and finding uh, out all this information I have not I blogged like four or five months ago because I'm keeping a blog on sort of building the piece which of course I haven't updated in forever but I blogged that I did a request for the form you know I was like okay I, I got the form Holt says it's free. I'm going to do it. And then I just haven't sent it in. So it's like waiting for me. But I keep looking at it going, oh, I don't know. Do they want me to find them? Yeah. It's, I I totally would not blame my birth mother for being like, I gave you up and I moved on because I had to. Like, I I totally understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like, you know, I deserve to find them. Like, I have no emotion that way. Um because I, I totally respect that, like, I could have made the same choice if, if I was her age and in her circumstances. Right. So, um, it would be nice to know, but I know how hard it's been for a lot of people who have found their birth parents. So I think that, like, experience varies so much. I put mm-hmm. myself up for being rejected again if I search, and that's a terrifying thing. Yeah. It's like, what if they do find them and they don't want to talk to me? I don't know... I don't think I could take that, honestly. So no plans right now? Not right now. Probably in a drunken fit, I'll fill it in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have the form, so you're opening yourself to a future of possibility. Maybe before I'm 50. (laughs) You set that goal. I know. I I can't even think about 50. And Not so, so now we're gonna transition into what got what pulled you towards the theater first. I don't even remember. It was Latin. Latin <laughs> in, in compulsory. No, really? That's a thing. So my let's see, my Latin club needed togas. I'd been sewing since I was nine. My mom taught me, so I. Uh, yeah, I knew how to work a sewing machine, so I was like, oh, I'll make the tokens for the Latin club, you know, so that that's sort of where it began. And then it was my best friend from childhood that was the theater person, you know. She uh, was really serious about it. She was working with a, a group called Oddfellows Playhouse in Middletown, Connecticut, um, that was 
kind of like a children's theater. They did a summer circus. And I participated there, too. I played in, like, their summer circus band. Uh, I played in their musicals. It was super fun. But she was always the theater person, and I was always the music person. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll let her have her thing and her weird friends and whatever. <laughs> you know? Because, like, theater people in high school are weird. Um, what? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I don't know. Did you see the Lin-Manuel Miranda Crucible cast party? Uh, I mean, that, that song like, has been stuck in my head for a week now. And, but that is I like wake up and I'm like, memory. Crucible cast party. I know, right? And Crucible But that is party. like, that's the world. It was, I mean, it's legit. It's a little too I know real. it's legit and it hit a nerve because all my theater friends from oh, high yeah. school and college all posted it on absolutely. Facebook. And it absolutely I'm like, a nerve. Yeah, I'll like every single one of these, even uh-huh. though I've seen it like 80 times. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, oh, that's... Because it's so true. <laughs> it is so painfully true, including the teacher coming to the party. I'm just glad they didn't do the college version of that, because it oh, would have just God. been debaucherous. Oh, it just would have been complete. <laughs> yeah, that's your Bacchanalia right oh, there. Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went from there to like... Going to, going to college for the whole classics thing, but I needed a job. So I, this is back when they were like posting on the little bulletin boards, the work study jobs. Uh-huh, so you yeah. take down the little index card. And um, there was a job in the costume shop when I was like, I know how to sew. I mean, but I thought like I wasn't qualified. I thought, oh, it's college. Everyone's like really good at this. And so I like grabbed a shirt that I had made, grabbed like a picture of my cousin's prom dress that I had made, and I went down there for my interview. And I remember Lynn, my boss, asking me, So what what can you do? And I said, Oh, well, I made this flannel shirt that I'm wearing. <laughs> flannel shirt, 90s. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I made my cousin's prom dress. And I showed her the picture, and she just looked at both, and she looked at me, and she looked at the quality of the shirt, and she was like, okay, you're hired. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, So I worked in the costume shop all four years, sewing for shows. Wow. Um, When I was a freshman, they told me about the sophomore that was, or junior, I guess, that had gone abroad that was coming back, who was, like, really cool, and, oh, you really like her, and she's also from a small town, you guys will get along, (laughs) all right, fine. Um, And she did, she proved to be awesome, and I assisted her on some shows, because she was a costume design major. And then, yes, sophomore year, I switched majors to theater. And that is that is the beginning of the end. <laughs> and you've been involved ever, ever since. Ever since. Hardcore. And so yeah. now you're trying to transition into more of the creative acting and directing side? Yeah, maybe. It's... Playwriting side? The playwriting side. Yeah. I, um... All sorts of things happened all the same time. I think it has nothing to do with my meniscus. However, the Korea trip and the acceptance into this group of playwrights in town called the Welders uh-huh. um, is a group that I'm part of. And it is a group of uh, seven playwrights. Playwright is a sort of a stretch term, which I'll explain in a sec, but um, and a creative director that are self-producing work over three and a half years. So each one of us gets like six months to do whatever we want. Um, But in that time, we will write, produce, create um, a piece of our own. So the definition has sort of expanded of playwright. Generally, you think of like someone sitting at a computer writing a play that is, you know, with lines, et cetera. Right. Um, You know, built into two acts, pretty traditional work. Um, or even if it's experimental, 
you know, is still like a sort of solitary writer kind of thing. Um, but for our group, we have me, the designer, there's a dramaturg who mainly deals in research, but she's also writing an adaptation of Pericles. Uh, we've got Rachel, who's devising a piece with an ensemble. Um, Annalise, who's primarily a director and a solo artist, is also putting together a piece. And then we've got a couple sort of more traditional playwrights. Um, so my piece is going to be something like... it's I'm working from what I know. So essentially, I'm writing an art installation. Um, so my piece is like... Right now, it's like 15, 16 pages long, and it's just all description. So I'll be taking the audience through, like, a series of rooms. So uh-huh. everything from, like, the back room at the adoption agency where the social workers give babies new names, you know, wow. to, like, the bedroom of a little girl in Minnesota, um, to a church pulpit in Seoul, you know. So I'll be building these experiences and then taking the audience through to sort of experience what life is like as an adoptee, but by taking stories from different adoptees and sort of adapting them into um, a more, you know, creative performance. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's the intent. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, in order to do that, I have to step into more sort of art director and directorial shoes to work with an ensemble to put it together. Cool. Yeah. So when is that going to be ready? Fall 2017. All right. So, so you got a year. So you got, got a year. year. Got a year. We're going to be workshopping uh, come spring. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be I'm, here in D.C.? Is it going to be in Georgetown? Mm-hmm. Or is it, where is it going to be? I think it will be in Tacoma Park. I'm talking to a couple um, a couple different venues, uh, an art gallery, mm-hmm. um, this sort of arts house that's owned by a collective. Um, so hopefully one of those pans, pans out. And they're yeah. Yeah. That'd be super rad. But yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, when people are like, really, what is it? I'm like, oh, it's kind of like Sleep No More in New York. I haven't but gone not, there because I'm scared. Oh my God, it's so amazing. That's what I go. hear from everybody. It's so expensive, but you have but to I'm go. But I'm so scared. You know what, because it scares me because they can touch me. Yeah, they can touch you, they but can, you're like, wearing a mask. They can walk into a room. You know, I mean, it's, there, there's a distancing there. And my actors could touch you as well. But oh no! It's one of those. They're <laughs> <laughs> not gonna like violate you. I don't want to be touched. Yeah, I mean, I don't love. We that already kind know of how I feel either. about like you know the pizza emoji. Can I text that to you? Um, I know I'm a little weird about interactive theater myself, and I don't like to be touched in performance. But but I you're don't gonna mind force your audience to be touched a little bit, <laughs> but in the way of like an actor might grab you by the shoulder and push you in uh-huh. a direction. You know, yeah, not yeah. like the sleep no more thing where they'll take them out if they bring you into an individual um, sort of monologue show. They'll take your mask off your face, do something to you, give you tea or you know, read your tarot or whatever and uh-huh. then put the mask back on and shove you out of the room. Um, and very few people get that kind of experience. So I don't know. I think it'll mainly be eh, kind of like a voyeur experience. Yeah. You know? Well, no, it sounds so immersive, which is what I yes. like about that because it's, you know, it's one thing to, the other frustration that I have usually uh, with theater or cinema or whatever that tries to tackle adoptee mm-hmm. issues usually yeah. is that they're usually done very poorly or they yeah. create these weird like really awkward and weird scenarios where it's like 
oh, and they're adopted siblings, but they're in love. And I'm oh, like, why are they always hooking up? Like, it's, this is so, yeah. like, why do they always have to make it like this? This is disgusting. Like, yeah. it's, you know, and I'm not trying to pass judgment. I'm just like, we're not all, like, I'm not in love with my sister. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. Like, what is this? There's no tension like that. This yeah. is weird. I don't have daddy issues. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it is it's, weird. It's frustrating because I feel like I see that all the time in art. And I'm just like, uh-huh. what, where is this theme coming from? Yeah. Is I it just that, like, people like they have a weird fascination with it and they're like oh well uh you must you know you're not blood related you must be attracted it's like right it's like no ew. no what ew. Yeah, it's like that's my ew. sister you're yeah. kidding it's bizarre it's like a weird a, bizarre fascination yeah i think a lot of people have like adoption fantasy that have nothing i think, nothing I think to there do is they're kind of like oh well if i were adopted i could yeah do whatever you know i i could claim that i'm not like my crazy mother or something. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit like my crazy mother because I grew up with her, you know? Yeah, and but it's like people will use that to distance themselves exactly. in a certain way. Yeah. And, and, like, I don't know. In art, sometimes I feel like it's in a weird sexual way, and I'm just like, that's Ugh. just bizarre. I don't know why people go there. I don't know why people go there. So I, I praise and admire, and I'm so happy <laughs> that you're doing this. And that there's gonna a, set the a legitimately straight. adopt, like you, you're going to try to immerse the audience in an adoptive experience, mm-hmm. which I think is incredible. Yeah. So we'll see. I think there will be lines. Actors will talk. There'll be a performance aspect to uh-huh. it. But yeah, I think I'm hoping that it's it's a space that's like large enough that actors can sort of stumble upon other people. Like I've got, you know, and. It, the the experiences are all over the map. I have a character that is, you know, currently written as a, a deported adoptee um, okay. from the U.S. You yeah. know, who is just sits at the bar and drinks. And if you sit next to him, he'll ask you, you know, hey, buy me a drink and I'll tell you my story. And that's how you get that monologue. So it's kind of like it. Hopefully, will make people come back. You know, to yeah. get a different experience as they go around. Um, I want to serve food. I would love to serve soju. I mean, we've got permits and, and we have work to do. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm but, definitely um, coming for that. Awesome. It's worth the price of admission right there. Yeah. I mean, I hope that, that adoptees do come. I think I have a lot, a lot more story collection to do in uh-huh. the coming year. And I have to figure out, like, how do I most effectively sit down to take people's stories in a respectful way? So I've, I've got some work yeah. to figure out. Without ex- making people feel exploited. That's so not Sure. Um, so if anyone listening wants to talk to me, they can email me. Oh, great. <laughs> well, okay, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Do you have any other projects or anything going on right now that you'd like to advertise? The oh, upcoming my goodness. Things? The Welder's first show, so the same arts collective. We have a show coming up called Girl in the Red Corner. I actually promised them I would plug this. Um, Steve Spotswood has written a play, essentially, that takes place in an MMA ring. So we have had actors training in mixed martial arts for mm, two and a half months now. Cool. uh, While sort of uh, rehearsing this play at the same time. So I've designed the set for that. So I've essentially designed a partial MMA cage. Um, And that goes up at the Atlas in late October. Cool. Yeah, should be pretty cool. And is American Idiot already done? Is it? Oh yeah, that's long over. Ah, oh. mm-hmm, sorry, <laughs> that happened earlier this year. Anything coming out at the uh, the Kennedy Center? Um, I'll be doing a workshop there in February, um, based on Frankenstein. Uh, it's a play that's still being developed right now. They're actually workshopping it this week there. Cool. I like the sound of that. Yeah, should be fun. Is the new POTUS going to be there? 
in February, whoever that may be. I don't. <laughs> oh, that whole thing just makes me nervous. <laughs> well, like, by the time this interview is over, so will like, the yeah, debate. So, so the you bay. don't have to. Uh, you could you could hear about it, but it's you won't be able true. to watch it until later. Oh my god! So you don't have to watch it tonight. It's true. <laughs> oh god. All right, and where yeah. can people get in touch with you to either share their stories yeah. or whatever? Um, you can find me, I guess, can I give my Gmail? Sure, if you're yeah. comfortable with that. Sure, why not? Everybody write me. Um, <laughs> so you can write me at debsivany at gmail.com, D-E-B-S-I-V-I-G-N-Y um, at gmail.com. Or if you can't remember that, my Georgetown address is dks24 at georgetown.edu. All right. And you're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Under are you my on, name. Are you on Twitter, Instagram, or I am. Snapchat? Yeah, or? You, you can find me at, at Indepenguin. I N D E P E N G U I N. It's sort of like in, Independent Penguin shortened into. <laughs> it's a portmanteau. Exactly. Of Independent, of penguin. independent Penguin. So Independent Penguin <laughs> is Instagram, Twitter. I no longer have a Tumblr, but it was called My Igloo back in the day. Oh, I like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's all the social media I'm on. That's enough. All right. To keep up with. <laughs> well, that's cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for so sharing much. your story and, and good luck. The best of luck or break a leg, as they say in the theater world, with uh, your future endeavors with the adoptee stories, the immersive adoptee experience. I'm very excited. I want let me know. Keep me updated. We'll do. Come back on the show. We'll talk more about it when it's closer to the date. Awesome. And uh, I would love to come down and see it and drink soju with your actors. Yay, that sounds great. <laughs> if I have time, I'll, I would love to audition. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on down. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. All right, and that was my conversation with Deb. I want to thank Deb again for coming on the show, taking the time, last minute kind of, to uh, meet me in my hotel at Washington Metro Marriott Center, the Washington Marriott Metro Center, something like that, uh, and, and talking, talking about uh, obviously the same things that we all experience and talk about as international or transracial adoptees, her experiences and her passions. So fantastic. I know, you know, it's not easy. A lot of uh, my guests are a little bit introverted. She was not because she knows that uh, the theater, and this is a little bit of theater, you know, the podcast, uh, is full of extroverts. And so she has to deal with that day in and day out. Even if she's an introvert, uh, maybe she went home and just recharged her batteries afterwards. But she was very animated during the show, and I appreciate that as a, as a host of a podcast where I would like uh, people to be engaged, my listeners to be engaged. And the more gregarious the person, usually, the better the show goes. In any case, thank you for listening to the show. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please, please, and you you are an international or transracial adoptee or somebody in the community, and uh, you have your story to share as well, please send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can always follow me on Twitter, at the Rambler ADHD, like my Facebook page at the Rambler ADHD or facebook.com slash the Rambler ADHD. And you can uh, recommend me to your friends. I'm on iTunes and Google Play and Podbean, and the last two episodes are always on Spotify. Or, I'm sorry, not Spotify, SoundCloud. I've been listening to a lot of Spotify lately, and you should too. Uh, I think Hamilton's on there. I know they're on Apple Music. 
So if you're so inclined, you can definitely check them out there. I know uh, some people put the soundtrack also on uh, YouTube, so if you're uh, interested, you can definitely check that out. Just look for Hamilton the Musical or Soundtrack, Hamilton, Broadway, blah, 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 and you can take a listen. Take a listen, but I encourage you to buy the soundtrack if you really like it, because I think it's incredible. Uh, And if you can, go see it. I think the tickets, unfortunately, right now are very high priced. I'm definitely being priced out, but... Uh, you know, maybe maybe you can get the chance to go do that. Who knows? Who knows? In any case, uh, I'll give you a little sample at the end of this show. Other music today is provided by The Bell and Needle Drop Records and a collective effort, and you can find their music on SoundCloud as well. They're both on SoundCloud. SoundCloud ended up with me, the Rambler, Mike McDonald. All right, I'm uh, going to get out of here. I got a lot of work to do today in terms of, like, house cleanup. Got to mow the lawn, got to rake these leaves. It's fall. Fall is in full effect. It is the autumn season. I know because there's pumpkin spice lattes and salted caramel mochas at Starbucks. I'm not a fan of the of the pumpkin spice latte. It's very controversial. I know. Everybody loves the pumpkin spice latte. Not me. I don't like pumpkin-flavored things, except, like, pumpkin seeds, I guess. I'm more of the salted caramel mocha guy. I love it. It's so delicious. Uh, and this is probably information that maybe you may or may not care to know, agree with or disagree with, but that goes with the theme of the show. Just cause you don't agree with something or like it doesn't mean you don't have to, shouldn't listen to it. Right? Right? All right. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, uh, send me an email, follow me on Twitter, check out my Facebook, do all those things and, uh, enjoy a little bit of Hamilton until then. I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence, impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar New York, you can be a new way New York, you can be a new way New York, you can be a new man I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. Rise up when you're living on your knees. You rise up. Tell your brother that he's got to rise up. Tell your sister that she's got to rise up. When are these colonies going to rise up? Just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot.